0: keyboard player guy, and
1: I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm ready to play, you
2: know. I just remember meeting him, he came into rehearsals, and everyone liked him immediately. He was a unique person, he saw the world in such a unique way, but also in his playing. You just hear those chords that he would bring in, and he was such a deep musician.
3: played with the blues dudes that we loved and he had something that
2: we wanted to learn from, whether we knew it or not, you know. We didn't even know that he was teaching us what he was teaching us. You know, we were kids and this guy was a master already. The minute he put his hands on the piano, that's Ed. is a true gift to meet someone like him and to have someone like him in your life see his joy on his face you Mm -hmm. know that's where he wanted to be right? and And to have one more weekend yeah exactly will do the best way to honor him and also to honor our feelings and honor everything is to keep playing
4: and Eddie that's exactly what you said okay well let's go play
5: Edward Harsh, born May 27, 1957, died November fourth, two 2016 at the age of 59. So Ian, a lot of people say your life is defined by the dash in between the day you were born the day you died. Eddie Harsh obviously made a huge impact on music lovers and those people that he came in contact with. Universally loved as, as one of the favorite members of the Black Crows by members of the band, the fans, and the people that worked for the Black Crows, uh, he was also just seems like a really really nice guy.
6: Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. And, and you know more so than anything, uh, Eddie was always the fan favorite. Just people just loved him, and he was always, you know, from a lot of the people we've spoken to over the uh, year plus of of doing these interviews with fans and people associated with the band they always nobody has a bad thing to say about ed they always have a fond reminiscence of ed not only his personality and his humor but his his musicality and his prowess and his talent you know it's just it's really was a sad loss for for music and and for humanity i mean i know ed had some some things he was dealing with over the course of his life but he he was really a uh, a shining star as, as far as people go i think
5: I think the best thing you can say about him is you just can't find anybody to say anything negative about him. I would say my, my favorite memories of Ed are just even on stage when he was killing it, whether it's that outro to descending or thorn in my pride or remedy or some of these cool covers they did. It always looked easy to him and he looked like he was having fun and he never seemed to be showing off, and that that's something that you'll hear people say in, so, in some of these interviews, was he was just very humble. You go back and listen to, like, Steve Gorman's eulogy of him on his radio, he says, Ed Harsh is the best musician we ever met, much less played with. The thing I always
6: loved about Ed was, not only was his major contributions to the music really special, but he, he had a knack for these little colorations and songs. Certain songs wouldn't be the same just without little things he does in them and and it's just it's I I I I really feel like the purpose of us doing this is not only to honor him with the with the members of the fan base and and anybody that might have knew him or but to to you know I hope that somebody comes across this episode at some point that isn't really familiar with him or even the band and 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 gets into it and then that's another person that understands how great Eddie Harsh was and that's that's really the the key thing for me would keep his memory going
5: not including descending which i think everybody would say was his shining moment what's some of your favorite ed musical moments
6: i mean i really like i mean obviously a lot of people are with me on this one but his his solo in wiser time uh you know particularly live uh is always the template or the you know the most iconic one um you know the, the but it's like i said it's the little things the uh that little keyboard downshift at the beginning of uh under a mountain you know the thing in gone where uh, more so live because the band drops out live where he just hits he's hitting like two notes in the middle of gone everything goes quiet in the live version then they kick back in like that's important to that song everything he did was important to the songs you know and there was um he actually introduced me to by by way of a cover an artist called champion jack dupree he did a song with the black crows it was called nasty boogie woogie but it really showcases his 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 boogie woogie playing which is is if you can do that right it's totally cool and so i thought maybe you know we play that real quick
3: Yes, yes, yes. They do the nasty boogie woogie, don't you know? Nasty boogie woogie, don't you know? They do the nasty boogie woogie, nasty boogie woogie, don't you know? Well, my grandma says she wants to hold the goat. She listening on the radio. She got happy feet, pull up a dress. Shout out, Lord, that boogie's a mess. They do the nasty boogie woogie.
5: I think for me when I think about him uh, obviously Descending comes into play but I love the breakdown on Remedy the same thing with Thorn and My Pride and kind of the gospel section some songs that I, that I think a lot of people don't really talk about a lot that he adds a lot to Miracle to Me he, he just you know really really adds just like sweet little touches to, to those songs to make them better I love the intro to Peace Anyway I, I just I think it has a cool vibe to it Oh uh-huh. So what we thought we would do this week, obviously this is all about Ed and we don't want it to be about us or anything else. Ian and I have reached out to numerous people that have been former guests just to talk about Ed and we kind of asked him to tell us a funny story and a story about him as a human being and also, you know, touch on his musicality. So this one required a lot of work and it's really paid off. I feel a little bit, Ian, like after we conducted these interviews, that I almost feel like I knew him a little bit.
6: Yeah, it almost gave a little bit more insight into, know, gave you a little more insight to what he was like day to day. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I think it also is worth mentioning that, uh, you know, we did reach out to Steve Gorman. And although he, uh, you know, for some personal reasons, he wasn't able to join us, he did send to us and allow us to use the, the eulogy he had done on his radio show at the time for Ed. So that'll be at the, uh, at the closing of the episode.
5: And as always, Steve Gorman is a class act, everybody. So who we have lined up this week, we have Mona, we have charity, we have Jeff Dunn, we have Matt Slocum, and also we're going to play Steve's eulogy that he played on his radio show. That's, what's going to close everything out and interspersed in between those. We have a, a few little surprises for you. So Ian, I, I think this is probably the best thing we've done since we've done the podcast.
6: Yeah, definitely the most fun to do. And, and uh, you know, like I like I said earlier, just something I feel and I know you feel the same way. Very, very important to do, to get in the books, get in our archive, and it'll always be there for anybody that comes across it moving forward.
5: So what you have now is our tribute to Eddie Harge. Rest in peace, Eddie. Thanks for the music. So we have joining us uh, again today, Jeff Dunn, and we had Jeff on in the past, a long-time sound guy for the Black Crows, and was a great guest, and got a ton of great feedback when we had him on. Jeff, welcome back. Oh, hello,
1: everybody. How you doing?
5: So, Jeff, you know, we told you we wanted this to be a, a quick thing about Eddie Harsh, and obviously you spent a long time with the band, and you were there, you know, when he showed up the first time. Kind of describe that at first, like when he, he first came on board with the band, kind of what the reaction was.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, when I first got with them, there was no keyboard player. Uh, they did have Chuck Lavelle pop in uh, from time to time, here and there, for important gigs or TV gigs that they did, and he would play the keys, which was always a nice addition. But for a lot of the time, it was just uh, guitars and bass and drums, you know. So uh, then one day uh, they're like, "Yeah, we're getting a keyboard player," and uh, I think. It's hard for me to remember. Yeah, he was with us when we opened for ZZ Top. I'm pretty sure. So it was probably before then that we, right before then that we got Ed when we were doing clubs and stuff. Because after ZZ Top, we were doing our their first headline tour, and I know he was there for that. Yeah, when Ed came in, he was just like very. Uh, first thing I noticed is God, what an easy man to talk to. You know, he's like. The old wizard hippie, listening to him talk and tell a few stories, and watching how he plays those keys and the way he just fit in immediately. Uh, the band were super happy getting him, and I'm I'm pretty positive he came on the recommendation of Chuck too. So uh, coming from Chuck, you know the guy had to have his chops, and that was that. Was it
5: evident from day one, just how good of a musician he was? I would say so because.
1: You know you never really
5: heard right at first you might hear wow what
1: a difference but then it just was like uh taking care of business day in day out really no news at all about him it was like you know it's almost like he'd been playing with them for a long time you know they were really uh, fortunate to find him not have to you know explore a, a catalog of different people and just find The right guy right from the get go. I guess fate would have it uh, that he was
6: the Black Crows keyboard player. Now, Jeff, it always seemed like uh, Chris and Rich Robinson, in particular, always spoke very highly of Ed and have a, had a great reverence for him, and that they they learned a lot from him. Is that were they kind of like constantly gushing over him? Uh, you know, for the most part.
1: It's funny. I mean, I think sometimes they fight over who got to hang out with him. You know, after the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he was so fun to be around and just, you know, had amazing stories and, you know, played with Albert Collins and did all the blues stuff and really got down into the gritty part of uh, the whole music world. So uh, I think that uh, they both really liked him a lot and, uh, you know, they knew they had the right guy. And, and also it was like it's always great when you kind of find an, a, a, a a a diamond that's not been discovered yet. And that was Ed, you know, he was, he was the perfect fit for them.
5: Well, Jeff, everybody seems to have a funny Ed story. So what is one you could tell us uh, over the air that uh, about him?
1: Ed was just always had a really funny sense of humor. You know, he had that funny expression on his face where it was pretty serious, you know, but You could tell he was up to a little something, you know. So sometimes he'd throw you off. It's like, is he being serious or is this a joke, you know? So one first quick one is I remember we did this big festival in Florida for a big uh, Zeta radio station down in Miami. And uh, at the end of the day, we were like the last band to play after about 10 bands. And there was this huge field, and it was just covered in shit everywhere, you know, and all the fans were gone. And we had a little time. It's like, what are we doing? All the bus driver will be here in 20 minutes. And that goes, well, in that case, I'm just going to go out here and look at me some garbage. (laughs) 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 And he just, we all like looked out the window and he just kind of did a survey of the whole. You know, lit up a cigarette and just took a nice long loop out there and then came on back around to the bus, you know, and we were just all laughing like, man, Ed's got the right idea. You know, we're all sitting there bored. It's like, shit, what, what else are you going to do? You know, So that was pretty funny. But the best one was uh, one time we had a two day drive up to Minneapolis, I believe, from San Francisco hmm. and, and and half the band were going to fly. So Chris was going to be on the bus, and so was Ed. So Chris was like, hey, uh, if any of you guys don't want to fly, we're going to have a really good time on this uh, you know, half-empty bus from here to there. So I was one of the w- ones with Chris on the bus and a few other guys, and uh, we did have a great time. It was a real fun ride. But Ed, he, he was telling this story, and we were all just like, pretty much higher than lab monkeys at that point and uh ed's like telling this story about some neighbor he had and he had some crazy monkey or something down the street and this monkey used to do all kinds of weird shit and ed's like imitating the monkey and his hand flew over and it hit his drink in a solo cup that was in the little bus drink holder thing mm-hmm. and he like hit it smacked it on the bottom it flew up in the air did a 360 loop not a drop spill and then fell right back down into the cup holder like it never had even been touched i swear <laughs> and then ed kind of like glanced over at that but didn't miss a lick man he just kept going like he meant to do that you know <laughs> and everyone's like wait a minute wait a minute did you see that And he goes oh that was nothing man you know i gotta tell the story here you know so, uh, <laughs> he was a really funny t- uh, storyteller and had all these wild stories about, you know, just really out there stuff and just the way he would tell them and get up, stand up in front of everyone and, you know, had his arms going and, you know, just you can picture him. He's a big man, you know. So uh, whenever he would do that, it was just hilarious.
6: What's your defining memory of Ed? Something that, you know, being that he's, he's passed away, unfortunately, something that always sticks with you.
1: That's a tough one, you know? I mean, just so much different stuff with Ed. I just remember Ed as being a guy who was always there, you know? <laughs> uh, he 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 was just Ed all the time. To me, he was always, like, still just pretty much steady as a rock. And uh, I just, like, I would think of him almost as, like, a father figure in a way, you know? Because, and I think everyone kind of maybe got that from him a little bit. Because he was a little older than the rest of us. And uh, when you're out there and everyone's uh, away from their families, sometimes it's nice to have someone that you can kind of look up to a little bit if you need that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I think that's probably what, the best thing I could put
5: to that. There seems to be so little known about him, you know, outside of the Crows. If you could, just one story that kind of shows who he was as a person.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was always willing to talk to people. He, like, when you, whenever we go somewhere he'd already be down in the lobby an hour before you know it was time to leave you know drinking coffee and maybe having a cigarette out in front of the hotel just talking to the people you know not necessarily us but just whoever was around kind of hanging out and just i could see him as a guy that really uh you know he wouldn't go straight to the bus and sit on the bus you know he'd hang out with people and really soak in life and you know, whenever we'd hit certain towns, he already knew exactly where to go to have fun and 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 you know where the interesting stuff was. You know, and I think the band looked up to him for that too because he had a lot of good information on because he'd been out there and done it before. We really appreciate you giving us a few minutes to talk about it Yeah, it's great to t- talk to you guys again and. Uh, Sorry that uh, earlier this year things didn't get to fly like they thought they would, but uh, I see everything's been rescheduled for next summer. So hopefully they'll get it back out there then.
5: Yes. Yeah, we hope to uh, hope to get to a show next summer. Sounds so great. Too good, I sound-
6: Post the following on my Facebook page today it was announced about Ed's passing. It's one of my best memories of Ed. I've seen the Crows about 20 times from 94 to 2008, and I was lucky enough to meet Ed a few times. A part of my musical soul has been broken today. At the end of each Black Crow show I had ever attended, the band would get together and bow to the audience. Ed would tell the audience in sign language that he loved them. One of the last times I saw Ed and the Crows was up in Pozo, California at the Pozo Saloon. As the band bowed and walked off, Ed did not do his signature gesture, but he looked back towards the audience. I was up front and did it to him. Uh, He saw me do that and did it back to me. Don't know if anybody else saw that, but I was blown away. I will take that and all the beautiful music Ed played and all those magical moments I was lucky enough to see live. Rest in peace, Eddie Harsh. You will live forever in my heart and ears. And that's from Robert Lucero on Facebook.
5: I was one of six people at a Rich Robinson meet and greet at the El Macambo in Toronto years back. And in walks Ed Harsh to say hello to Rich. He sat down and talked with us for about a half hour before anyone else got there. Was a very lovely guy and very much loved seeing Rich again. From Dan Doyle. Hi Charity, hi.
6: Hey. Uh... <laughs> All right, everybody. So joining us once again is Miss Charity Co, who has been our guest in the past, and always a pleasure to speak with her. Charity, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm, I'm doing well.
6: Just kind of interested in uh, in your experiences with with Ed.
0: What can you not say about Ed? The one thing that I'm sure is probably consistent is that he had the biggest heart that you could imagine. He literally not just cared for music and his musicianship, but, you know, regardless if you were a background singer, a fan, or even a close friend of his, you know, Ed was, you know, a really, really great, loving person and a friend. Um, He adored his parents. Um, We loved whenever we went to, you know, to Canada to play or what have you, because we would see, you know, some of his family. But, the the crazy thing about ed is that he he always told crazy jokes <laughs> <laughs> and you know he would always take his turn like yeah 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 man yeah, yeah man <laughs> like that was that was that was that was his thing you know and he was the one that um introduced me to kit rock cuz he and kit rock are are very close friends outside of that it's like you could always depend on on ed to just be at his peak and and the greatest you know at what he knew what to do and that was play that piano I mean it was an experience that I think is kind of unspeakable there's there were a lot of sound checks where he would just be up there for hours on hand or beforehand and you can always get that um you can get that look from Rich Robinson um, or even Chris Robinson, you know, when they're on stage, when you could tell when they really liked something that he did that was different, you know, and it was kind of like that thing of like, well, you know, keep going or what have you. It, it was, he was amazing. And, you know, I miss him dearly myself.
5: Well, you know, Charity, you and, and, and your mom had a front row seat. Talk a little bit about some of those magical moments. I know one that we, that we go to, the outro to Descending. That outro is just to me. It's one of the most moving pieces of music that I that I've ever heard, and and it's just so beautiful and touching. What what was it like being on stage? Like, in, in you know, obviously the crowd really fed off those moments, and you were actually a part of them. I mean, was it just like electric?
0: You know what? You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what it was, because not only, I mean, of course, just the the if you really sit down and listen to the actual words, um, and, and how that song was, was written and put together, it's, you can tell that it was like, Hey, Ed, just play something here. You know what I mean? You could tell that it was just a a really creative piece of work and being a part of him actually playing that. I mean, even when we did it in New York, when we opened up with the Magpie salute, um, It was really, really hard to be on stage. Like, I was literally crying while on stage because, you know, at different moments when someone passes away, it hits you differently. And at that moment, I was just so overwhelmed because that was one of his major signature pieces out of all of the the music and the catalog that the Black Crows has. That song was. It's if everyone in the crowd would turn to Ed because they knew that that it was time for him to really bring it home, and that that part in descending is is I, I, I want to say that you know since I, I you'll you'll never hear it played the same again, you know that's just that's I mean everyone is going to have their different ways of um, playing it, you know tri- with the tribute to him, but there's just something different about how he strokes those keys in descending that you just, you just, you, 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 can't imitate it. Every, every time he played it, it was electric. And if for some reason he did something different, we were like, whoa, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's so crazy because as me and my mom would be on stage, we would, it's, it's like this nod. I mean, everybody is definitely feeding off of the energy of each other and the crowd. But when you when you know that, you know, what you're putting out is something that is amazing. It's like after the show, we're like, oh, my gosh, that was that was crazy. You know, we go into these conversations and this this group conversation about, you know, so many things that happened within the show that we're just like, oh, gosh, we got to try to do that again. Like, we don't, you, you can't even do it again because you didn't necessarily expect it to happen. You know, so the music of the crows and the and the music that ed really honestly blessed us with is it stands alone
6: now speaking a little bit to that when when ed left the the crows in 2006 and you know rob came in and then you know subsequent other players now while they they did a fantastic job i think i it, it's still you know the fans i know really missed ed what was it like within like the uh the band itself after ed was gone was did the did the vibe significantly change or
0: i mean uh, you know absolutely the vibe always changes you know when you have um, members different members come in like with mark ford when he was no longer there and we had other you know even even the vibe the, <laughs> i'll say this Spin has always been, like, he's been there, like, forever. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know the Crows without, for example, knowing Spin, you know. And whenever we've had, you know, a different, because we've had a spot when we even had a different drummer, but whenever you you know, like, hey, that's Steve Gorman, that mm-hmm. that is his own, that he owns those drums, you know, even though there were so many different, you know, piano players that we had over the years or what have you, it did create a different vibe and you know, that's where the creativity comes into play. You know, it's not about you playing it exactly how someone else did it. It's about you creating your own, you know, and making your own mark. And that, that's the most important thing. So for example, like when I came in, I, everyone thought I was Portia and I'm like, no, I'm charity.
7: So, (laughs) you know,
0: even though I was um, singing in the spot where she was singing, you know, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I was provided at the end of the day. You know, I had to make it my own. And that's basically, you know, that's the thing that Chris and Rich always said is, hey, you can't be Ed. You have to be you. And you have to put your own signature on it. You have to be you. And trust me, if there's something that, that's played and it's like, um, no, that's not it. You know what I mean? You want it to be, of course, you don't want to change it but you want to add to it and you just have to add your own um, little mark to what you're playing. And that's, that's basically how our vibe was always how it always happened.
5: Now, Charity, if I remember correctly, when you came in, uh, it was kind of on short notice and your mom had obviously been with the Crows and obviously they were a road tested band and unit. Did, did, did Ed go out of his way to try to make you feel wanted when you first came in? I can imagine he would.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I first met the band, it was, um, of course it was in 2005. Um, I had to learn, you know, all the music, which literally the book was like that <laughs> thick, you know what I mean? Cause we also had some covers or what have you. And when it was time to, you know, um, to, to, we were at their rehearsal hall that, um, um was in Jersey. And when it was time for me to get up and stand up to the mic, you know what I mean? And they had never heard me. This is the thing, the Crows had never heard me sing a note (laughs) before the rehearsal. So you can already tell that that's a lot of trust just, just off the bat. Because the size and the reputation of that band and all that the background singers do in regards to their music, To be able to just trust my mom to say, you know what? Okay. You said that she could do it. We believe you. And it felt great when I got up to the mic and when she and I began to sing, they all turned and they were like, yeah. Okay. Because our voices, our timbers are very similar because we're, you know, we're mom and daughter. So um, that was, that was really, that was really great. That was really, really great. And when it was time, you know, I was thinking, hey, it's it's time for me to go, you know, because I was really only supposed to be with the band for um, a couple of months. It wasn't supposed to be where I ended up being with them for years. And um, they really, really loved. And like I think I told you guys before, it just all worked out where. Portia was still out with the Sweet Inspirations and doing the Elvis hologram tour and it just worked out and and they really want they also wanted me to stay even though that you know they wanted Portia they wanted me to stay as well so it just really worked out but I, I never forget that first rehearsal and you know I'm a person that I play off of the keys like when I'm singing the lead song it's about the the drums for me and it's about the keys and when I I heard Ed over there, I was like, oh, gosh, this is amazing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he, he would just do his little head like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And he'd look over at us and give us that look. And so, you know, that it's, it was very comforting that I was embraced by him and by the band.
6: By doing this tribute episode, we're trying to give people a little insight into the kind of person that Ed was. I mean, do you remember any anything in particular that kind of demonstrated his kindness and his, uh, his generosity to others.
0: The one thing that I would, Ed would always is as much as he was very engaging, he was also um, a kind of like a loan. I don't want to say like a loner, but he would go off and go off on these walks and just admire um, nature and admire, you know, even somebody that was homeless on the street, he was, he would always give them, you know, a dollar or what have you. He was very generous And he was very generous with his time, even though, you know, you would see him, you know, in the band and and with the group and, you know, at dinner and, you know, on the bus and, you know, at rehearsal and stuff. He still had a lot of he he also seemed that there was a, a part of him that was really just like an introvert type where. He would you would see him off just walking on his own like he never needed like a whole, as you would say, an entourage of people around him or, you know, I would always say, oh, well, here comes Ed. up. Oh, he's been the Starbucks. You know what I mean? He was Always <laughs> that that person that was like, hey, I don't mind, you know, just walking along, you know, in New York. Um, He never felt like he needed two or three people with him. Um, but I always used to tell him, I said, you look like a tree coming down the street because he was so tall and lanky."
7: Um,
0: but, um, he was, you know, he was just that type of person that, you know, he cared for. Like I said, he just genuinely cared for people and you can, all, he always had some, some out of this world thought or, or something where you're just like, only you, Ed,
7: you know
0: what I mean? But, um, he 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 was definitely he was really between him and Chris they could definitely keep you entertained. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, Charity, uh, we told you it would only take a few minutes of your time, and we don't want to take any more up than we than we have to. In closing, everybody, it's it's kind of always come down to the same thing. He was just a kind, good person that was incredibly talented, and uh, I think it speaks volumes of him. Uh, nobody has a bad word to say about him.
0: You you can't. There, there is nothing bad that you can um, say about it because he literally was just a really great human being, you know. And it's it's sad that um, he's no longer with us. And as much as the one thing I can say is as much as um, some of our, our best musicians have, you know, troubles and have things that trouble them, um, it's a very, very heavy weight to be a musician and you always want to live up to, you know, your last record or your last big hit or, you know, your last album or, you know, your last performance. And some people don't realize that also, even though you're in the spotlight, the spotlight can also be very lonely. And and sometimes it can be very hard to deal with. So, you know, even though he was <clears throat> he was everything great, he was also he's, he's just he's just as, you know, any any normal person that has, you know, struggles and battles and stuff. And and sometimes your your troubles are more in a public eye than others.
5: Well, I don't think you could say it any better. Just in closing, just
6: because you're you're a person that appreciates music very much and and you have been on stage with him. If you had the opportunity to be on stage with the Black Crows with Ed one more time, what song would it be?
0: Oh my gosh, come on, it'll be descending. (laughs) (laughs) Just checking. (laughs) Oh, absolutely.
5: Thank you so much, Charity. And as you know, you're always welcome to come on and and, and talk with us.
0: Oh, you guys know anytime. I'm always here, anything you need, okay?
5: Alright everybody, so uh, this has uh, been a, a long time coming. Our very first interview we ever did uh, was with Matt Slocum and uh, obviously he played in Rich Robinson's solo band and played in uh, the Magpie Salute and uh, was uh, just an all-around good guy and, and we are, he'll always have a special place in our hearts since he was our first guest and he was so kind to us and it's just a real honor to welcome Matt Slocum back to the podcast. Hey guys, good to be here. I appreciate you having me on well matt um you know this is a an ed harsh tribute show and you did get to spend some time with him uh in woodstock kind of the birthplace of of the magpie and uh you know ed unfortunately passed before that could uh to could get off on the road but what was that weekend like with him and and, and, and just kind of some of your interaction with him
8: yeah well that's exactly right that was
5: the birthplace
8: of magpie uh magpie salute um, was that weekend you know where well rich got everybody together and and it was like let's do this you know um but um man so we were on tour with rich robinson band we were coming into that weekend you know on tour uh close by i can't remember where it was and um and rich had eddie coming in for that weekend but he got there early or something and so he ended up being with us on the, the gig before that weekend and he played with us that night. I can't remember where it was, New Hampshire or I can't remember where we were but uh so that was really and that was my first time meeting Ed was, was that day. He came and caught on the bus with us and we went and played that gig and then went into um, that weekend at Applehead Studios. It was so cool. He was such a nice guy. You know, like just a regular nice guy who's funny actually i shouldn't say regular he was hilarious (laughs) Uh, yeah we did that gig and he sat in and played and i played and then and we kind of bonded right away he didn't know me at all you know I, i mean i knew about him and i've been playing his music and all this but he didn't know me and he was just it's like it's like we really clicked right away you know and um in the end, then we, we moved right into that weekend and just started playing. I mean, we were kind of thrown into it in a sense. Like, he just showed up. You know, of course, Sven was there and Mark Ford and everybody else from the band was there. And um, we just had everything set up and just started playing songs. I mean, we hadn't talked about who's going to play what. Like, are you playing piano? Am I playing organ? I don't know, you know. <laughs> That that weekend was so amazing, and I was actually listening to that record about um, a couple of weeks ago, and just remembering like being there with him. You know, it was such a special weekend for me because I've always looked up to him and his playing. I mean, I saw the Crows back in the early nineties, you know, or you know after he joined, like what ninety two? I can't remember exactly, but I saw him play, and I'm like. Then I got to like play his music with Rich, and then actually to meet him and play, and spent all weekend with him. And I, I smoked cigarettes at the time. I don't want any more, but at the time, and he and I were just like hanging outside on the porch the whole weekend, smoking cigarettes, <laughs> and coffee. He loved coffee.
6: <laughs> <laughs> now it seemed to me because you know, unfortunately, um, Ed passed away before the, you know the magpie. Salute got onto the road, and it seemed to me that at least those initial shows at the Gramercy Theater in New York were almost like an unofficial tribute to him. Was that was that kind of the the atmosphere for that?
8: Hundred percent. I mean, we opened up with Descending with that big the big video that was all done up for him, a tribute to him, and they had this big curtain there, and they, and then he played like they played him playing Descending. And then right as he goes, the band kicks in. The curtain drop down, and then at the end of the song, you know, we put the the alien up, and it had the big spotlight on it.
6: I was actually I was at that show, and I got to tell you that was that moment where that you just described, where it's it's Ed's playing that transitions into the band starting the performance probably one of the strongest musical moments i've ever been a party to in in concert that was just great it was was a great run of shows there
8: i agree with you and dude i can't speak for everyone but i'm pretty sure and i know i was we were all crying yeah (laughs) i mean it was really special and powerful and like spiritual like in the moment it was so good and it felt so good, and it was so cool to honor him in that way and to be able to pull it off. We were all worried about, is the curtain going to come down right? You know, <laughs> you know, stories of all that stuff kind of falling apart, but it it actually worked perfectly. And to to have him actually play that, those piano parts um, with the band, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it was just so cool, because it was supposed to be the two of us. Uh, on keys you know that was the idea was that that we were both going to be in the band as keyboard players uh, for magpie salute right and um, that's not what was in the cards but um that was the idea you know and i was so looking forward to that
5: well you know matt i've told you this in private and i'll I'll tell you this over the over the, the podcast as well you know whoever's in that mark seat and the ed seat I think unfairly gets scrutinized a lot of times. I mean, you don't want to be the person replacing Derek Jeter at shortstop, you know? Um, Right. And and those are, you know, and I I think some, some of the, you know, some of those guys that have had to sit in those seats have, I think fans have been a little too, too hard on them, but there's, you know, there's been three or four people sat in that seat after, um, after Ed that, that has played those music. And to one extent or another, the fan base has been pretty tough on them. And, there's there's never been a complaint thrown your way and, and i think wow. you know everybody really i think people appreciate the fact that you approached so many of those parts with reverence and it to me as a person that's not musical i can just talk about how music makes me feel you gave mm-hmm. me the same feel that that ed did and i i think that First of all, I think it wow. it show, it speaks volumes that you're a humble person because a lot of people get into a a, a situation like that and they want to put their mark on it and 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 one partic- one person in particular that the fan base cannot stand I'm not going to say his name because I I don't think that's fair but but uh, <laughs> um, but you 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 know it shows that you had such respect for it and that you you know you were humble enough to not try to do too much on in time. Of course the magpie stuff, it was all you and you put your own spin on it and you put your own spin on the crow stuff. But some of those special ed parts to me, I just think, I think he's looking down and smiling, you know, that's my boy, Matt, you know, (laughs) man, I appreciate you saying that. And that's really
8: cool that I was accepted that way. Um, Rich really wanted me in certain times, you know, like, like, like wiser time or thorn in my pride or, you know, descending and, and stuff like that. Like, he, he came to me and, and said, man, I, I, I'm I not trying to get you to be somebody you're not, but I really want you to try to play this like you're playing it for Ed. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, do it for him. And And so I took that to heart. You know, I actually did my best at times to learn note for note some of the parts that were sort of those, like, the, the well-known parts, like from the record, Amorica and stuff like, that. you know, those some of those parts that 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 he played, and I learned them note for note. And and Rich would say, like, look, do it like that, but make sure you don't lose yourself in it. And so I, you know, I, I really try my best to um, to to play it like Ed would in his in that vein, but also not be a robot, right? Uh, man. I, I got it more and more as I learned his parts like that because to actually sit down and to learn, to kind of, I don't, I don't want to say get into his mind, but like to, to really sit in that scene and and to do that just like him was um, really mind opening, you know, to like see how incredible the musician he was and that he came up with those parts, man, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and if you watch videos of him playing, like it's not, this, the record version every time. Like, he does it beautifully and different every time he played it. Um, that was just him, you know? It's so cool. So I really took that to heart, and it, it meant a lot to me. When I started really digging in and learning those parts, I could see the the real beauty in it. It was, it was cool. I'm, I was honored to be able to do it, and I just tried to do it my best. I don't know if I did it the best. I just tried to do it my best, you know? <laughs>
6: Oh, you definitely did. But uh, speaking from a, a musician's uh, standpoint, uh, what is it that necessarily makes Ed such a unique player? Like, what is it about his style and his his approach to the keys? That's a deep question. <laughs>
8: um, you know, and I could never speak for him. I could just tell you what I think. But, you know, I, Ed had like a classical background mm-hmm. um, as well as, a serious classical background as well as had played like blues with like Albert Collins and James Cotton. And, right. you know, like he had played with it, like some real deal musicians. Um And so obviously that had something to do with it, but I, I think that he was just music. Like he dedicated his whole life to it. And there was something special about him that most people don't have. And again, I don't know what that is, but um i think the, the dedication and passion that he had for music cuz like even that weekend at woodstock um he would just he'd walk into the um to the tracking room or whatever and and he'd be at the piano just improvising and it sounded like classical jazz blues like all mixed up but it was just improv you know like he had that all of his influences seemed to come out in his playing I've never played with blues people like that. I mean, I've played with some really great musicians, but like, you know, so I think maybe, maybe for me, like having a background in classical and, and having, you know, dedicated my life to that too, like maybe that helped me in being able to learn uh, his parts and stuff like that.
5: Kind of from a technical standpoint, and I'm, I'm sure somebody of your caliber, everything kind of becomes easy, but from a technical standpoint, like what was the most challenging song to play? All of them.
8: (laughs) (laughs) You know, Thorn in My Pride, that middle part there, that he gets, like, all gospel with the the piano and, like... That's the thing. If you listen to his stuff, if you really listen to it, there's, like, classical gospel, blues, jazz, mixed up in all the parts of these, like, incredible rock songs. And I think that's what he brought to the Crows was... That's what, like just really got them and i can't speak for them but i mean was the fact that he was able to play that music they're like rock and roll southern rock and roll whatever you want to call it but to be able to add in these flavors like in a strong way from all these different areas um descending you know to learn anything note, for note from somebody can be challenging you know, descending was, was hard to get. And I sat down with that stuff and I worked on it for a long time. Um, and then to try to make it your own at at the same time, it's like, that's a challenging thing, you know?
5: Well, Matt, I I think I speak for the the entire fan base. We, uh, we really appreciated what you brought to the table with, uh, with, with Magpie. And, you know, those are, those are two records that regardless of what happened with the band are always going to be there for us, you know, to hear. And, um, you know you're always welcome on this podcast like i said you're, you're always going to be special to us since you're our first person to come on and anytime you want to come on and just talk music you're always more than welcome i appreciate it
8: man thanks for having me on again That's really cool thank you guys
5: I saw the crows at Toad's Place in 1998. I drove two hours for the show. Got up there early and we were denied entry because we were under 21. We were by the tour bus and saw Rich Robinson. Told him our story and he got us into the show. We had time to kill, walked into Yale Bookstore and we saw Ed coming down the steps. He had a stack of books under each arm, an arm's length of books under each arm. We said hi and told the rich story. He smiled big and said right on. Brief meeting, but he was a huge presence. Big old Ed Smile, rest in peace. And this was from Song I Am Singing on Twitter.
6: Hi, Mona. All right, everybody. So joining us once again has uh, been a guest of ours, one of our most popular guests here at State of America and certainly one of our favorites. That's Miss Mona Lisa Young. Mona, how you doing?
9: I'm great. I'm wonderful.
6: So lovely to have you back. We remember the reverence that you spoke about Ed Harsh with when we interviewed you the first time. So we thought you might yes. be able to come on and, and share some stories about Ed. What's uh, yes. What are some of your, your best memories of him?
9: My best memories of Ed, just being able to just talk to him, you know, on occasion, you know, just at the venue or just looking at him on stage. He was so great, you know. One time when he left the group, uh, when he did leave the group, I saw him, he came to one of the gigs, (laughs) And, you know, he never weighed a lot, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was so happy to see him. I went and ran and hugged him, and I actually picked him up. I picked it up, and he said, whoa, you know? So that was, that was, I didn't know my own strength. I just, I was so happy to see him, you know? And that was the last time I saw him. I don't remember what city it was. I don't know, Ed was kind of, you know, you just walk by and he's, you know, that hair is swinging back and forth and he's like always walking like he's on a mission, you know. But um, we just had some delightful chats, you know, It wasn't anything heavy, spent a lot of time together on the road. And um, it was just sweet, you know, just a sweetheart, never changed, never an attitude, nothing, you know, he was just Ed. Ed
5: that everybody loves. Well Mona, you know, we talked at length with you last time and you have you have been on stage with a who's who of, of, of everybody in the music industry and really across a lot of styles of music, you know, you, you have you have performed with. Talk to us a little bit about just kind of Ed's musicality because everybody talks about he made it look easy and he was a natural. And I've I've heard several members of the band say they think he's the most talented person, you know, they've ever played with. And kind of where does he, where where does he kind of stack up with some of those people that, you know, that you've played with?
9: Oh, Ed could play with anybody. I mean, you know, he was fluent in in what he did and um, couldn't wait for his solos, you know, and uh, he was just, he was very talented on the piano So domineering, you know, with what he did play, which was, it was never the same exactly, you know, every night. It wasn't the same. Being a pianist from a child, you know, I did study, so I do understand musicality in that realm also. And yes, he was excellent. I'm sure he was classical, too. He had to have been classically trained at some point.
6: We, uh, we've always heard about uh, Ed being very, very fan-friendly and, and interacted a lot with people that came to the shows. Did you, did you see, see that firsthand when you were on tour with him? He,
7: he,
9: was, he was. He was shy, though, you know? When everybody um, kind of celebrated him on stage, you know, when he would do something really fantastic, he was just shy. He wasn't, you know, it was almost like he didn't want to acknowledge himself, you know. He was very humble. He was never, you know, he wasn't full of himself, you know what I mean? But so good. I mean, he could play with anybody. He really could. He could play with anybody.
5: Do you have anything that just kind of like a sweet story about him or kind of something that shed sheds a little bit of light on what he was like as a person?
9: Well, see, that's hard because... <laughs> Everything, you know, anytime you were in his presence, it was that he didn't talk a lot. But when we did talk, it was just, you know, just casual talking. But he was always the same, you know. He's so level-headed, you know, with his his personality it was just that, you know, um, just not a pompous person. Just shy and, and uh, like I said, even on stage. I can't really remember any specifics of a conversation because it was just, you know, being on the road, kicking back backstage or outside, you know, on a bench or something, you know, just chatting. But um, always the same, you know, the same sweet air.
5: Let me ask you this one quick question before we let you go. The the, the quintessential Ed song in the Black Crowes catalog was Descending. Yes. His outro that he would play on that... I mean, I've seen videos of where Rich and Chris stop and clap for him. Did that move you every time when that was played?
9: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you got a beautiful song in the first place, you know? Right. And a part that's so specific. And um, and when he put his magic there, it was just beautiful. You know, Ed was, God, he was just something. You know, you wouldn't think that would come out of him, just looking at him, you know? he. he when I first looked at him and I was getting ready to go on the road for the first time, you know, and I got the albums and everything. And I looked at his picture on, um, on one of the albums, you know, where they have all the white on, mm-hmm. I said, wow, he looks like an Indian, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's, something. you know, look at that face, you know, it's one of those faces you could put in a movie, you know? <laughs> and, um, yeah yeah that's what you know I think he missed that second calling. you know he could have done some character acting you know
7: <laughs> um,
9: yeah he he was just a talent you know that I do miss with or without you know being there. If I never played you know on a stage with him, he's just you know I would be a fan because he he was just that good
6: well Mona we really uh we really appreciate you uh. Taking a moment to share your thoughts on Ed and uh, really, really appreciate your insight into them. It's always a pleasure talking to you.
9: Yes, you as well. Absolutely. I right, don't be a stranger. God bless
5: you guys. You too. You too.
6: 1999, it was the Crows Open for Lenny Kravitz at DTE Energy Music Theater. I was in the pavilion. Right after the Crows set, Eddie was just walking around the pavilion and nobody was approaching him. I was 19 at the time. I ran to him and told him what I thought of him. He asked me my favorite part he ever played and I rambled on and on about his playing. He just listened with a huge smile. Finally, he hugged me, tight like a friend, and asked me did I want anything signed. But we had no pen. He felt horrible but winked and said he would see me again one day. Yeah, right, I thought, but he was right. 2003 rolled around and New Earth Mud, the full band, played Grand Rapids. At the Magic Bag Show, I was right at the stage, eyes closed, jamming out. I felt somebody bump me. I opened my eyes and it was Eddie, Mr. Eddie Harsh with a big smile. And I swear he said, told you we would meet again and put his arm around me, signing my ticket and taking a picture with me later. Eventually, Ed had to go and smiled and said he would see me next time. Sometime after that, he opened for Rich Robinson at the Magic Bag with his new band, Bulldog. I walked in the door to the venue, and it's like he was waiting for me. I don't know if he really was, but it seemed like it. Ran right to me and hugged me, and he hugged my dad, too. He took my dad and I down to the stage and got us a great spot. Told us he loved us and thanked us for coming. After that, Bulldog played another show in Detroit, and uh, sure as shit, Ed was at the front door. Took my dad and I to the bar and we sat and talked for hours about music. We talked about a million songs and a million albums. And he told me that when music makes you close your eyes, dance, smile, and not care who sees you, in that moment, he said, God is around you. And how music is a spiritual gift from God and never to take it for granted. 50 years from now, we will never forget Mr. Eddie Harsh and his immeasurable contributions he made to rock and roll. God bless Ed, I miss him every day. Rest in peace, Eddie Harsh. I just hope he knew how much he was loved, and that was Roger Rooker Jr. via Facebook.
10: you just give me a second so in 19 the spring of 1995 we were lucky enough to play with the grateful dead in tampa it was a fucking amazing weekend you know like i was so stoked jerry was still roaming the earth and shit not for long
7: so we had this big gig you know
10: at tampa stadium but the night before the great bass player donald duck dunn uh, was a great friend of ours, and uh, he lived in Tampa. And we went to like a barbecue at his house. He was ama- That's a whole nother set of stories, but he was an amazing character. And we got, you know, we started getting fucked up, you know. <laughs> then like the, 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 somehow someone calls and says the fucking Alman Brothers are at the studio near you, and they want you to come over.
4: I'm like, all right
10: so we all pilot into a van it's like midnight or whatever and we drive over to the studio and Ed's with us and so you know Greg's there and Warren and all the fucking Allman Brothers people and it's like a big party going on and we jam and shit it's fun everyone's getting fucked up and smoking tons of weed and I think people probably used to smoke cigarettes didn't I?
7: <laughs> so we're hanging
10: and we're hanging and the fucking studio fills up with smoke and all these lights start flashing and then you know, Greg's all fucked up and shit, and, and me and Ed are sitting there smoking this spliff like this. And the, all the crew guys are running around, they're like, the cops are here, man! They, oh, shit, the alarm's going off, It's like, the fire department's outside, Right? there's police outside! Well, no, the cops are coming, the fire department, there's a fire and Greg, Greg's had enough. And Greg was him, he goes, hold on, goddammit! He goes, which one is it? Is it the cops or is it the fire department? <laughs> and Ed Harsh smokes a big hit off his joint. He goes, he goes oh, I don't know, man. Do they got ladders or do they got guns?
3: <laughs> <laughs> and then that was like, the party was over. Then they
4: Ed played keys with the Black Crows from uh, January 3rd, 1991 until August 12th, 2006. And along the way, Ed accounted for more laughs and, and more wild stories than, uh, than the rest of the band put together. Most significantly, though, <clears throat> when Ed joined our band, he, he raised all of us up. Uh, suddenly, to us, being in a in a popular rock and roll band, it, it didn't mean nearly as much. Now, with Ed, we had a real ringer in the band, and we all knew immediately that we had to raise our game, b- both collectively and individually. Ed was the best musician any of us had ever met, much less played with. This is a guy that had already played with James Cotton for years and Albert Collins and this is a guy that was in, insanely to think about in the early 80s he was hired to play in what turned out to be Muddy Waters' last band. And I you know if you think about that the Ed is this kid from Toronto trying to make his way in the Chicago blues scene and he ends up playing with the man who invented the Chicago blues. I mean Muddy Waters it's it, it that's that's amazing. Ed was a, a truly kind man. He had time for anyone, anywhere. Um, <laughs> he had a tendency to fall into lengthy conversations with airport concessionaires. If, uh, <laughs> if you worked at a European airport in the 1990s and the store or the kiosk where you worked sold marzipan candy... Then, then chances are you remember a a solid thirty minute chat with a six foot four hundred and sixty pound Ukrainian Canadian freak with stringy long hair and a and a resonant baritone voice. That voice, by the way, even more than his piano playing. I, you know when I I hear that voice when I think of Ed. Yeah, yeah, man, what's up, man? I mean, everybody does an Ed. Everyone has an Ed imitation. Ed, uh, had his demons, which I, that's what people say when you're describing somebody who's fighting or or not fighting their addiction. Uh, Ed did drugs. He did a lot of them. I told him one day, I said, Ed, I'm gonna start calling you Dow from now on, man. You're a walking chemical plant. And he just laughed and said, Hey man, I'm, I'm conducting important research over here. <laughs> uh, the band we used to check into hotels under aliases back in the mid 90s, 90s anyway before everyone had a cell phone um fans would call hotels and try to find you you know so so we'd be under an alias that way if the if the room phone rang it was someone that you knew calling you you know plus it was always just cool to think of funny aliases ed's uh, ed's best ever hotel alias was his simplest one ed mcmuffin <laughs> I would get a rooming list every single day under the door of my hotel room, and every day I would see that name, Ed McMuffin, and, and it would make me laugh. On uh, the, I think, the Amorica or Bust tour, it, Amorica or Bust in 1995, Ed decided to use my name in hotels. <laughs> like, my name on tour that year was Oliver Sudden. Ed's name in hotels was Steve Gorman, and he he said he just wanted to see what would happen. And then so every few weeks, I guess, you know, Ed would say something like, hey, man, some dude from your dorm and college is on the guest list tonight. Or, <laughs> or he would go, man, you got a lot of people that want to talk to you, man. And I would always go, I'd say, Ed, just change your name and then they won't be bothered. You know, you won't get wake up calls from old friends of mine. And he would go, he said every time he goes, no, man, it's hilarious. When I explain to them that I'm in the band and my name is Steve Gorman, but, but I'm not Steve Gorman. That just, that just worked for Ed somehow. Anybody, anybody that was ever around the black crows has got Ed stories. I mean, there there are, there are just so many of them. We were, uh, backstage at this big show called net aid at giant stadium in 1999. I, uh, I don't even remember what NetAid was. It was some big benefit show. And me and Ed are standing outside of our trailer. He's having a smoke, and we're just shooting the breeze, if you will. And, and and as we're sitting there back in the we're like in the parking lot at Giant Stadium. They have all the band's trailers in a semicircle. And this large entourage approaches us from our left. And it's Sting and his wife, and no exaggeration, 25 people walking right behind them. Um, I in mean, my immediate thought was, you know, it looked like a cult leader and his flock were coming by, and Sting's barefoot, you know, and he's wearing like, you know, these sort of, uh, not yoga pants, like, uh, like pants pants that look like they were made out of hemp or something, a natural fiber, you know, and and as they walk past, he glances over at us. Ed catches Sting's eye and says, like he would to anybody, he just goes, "All right, man." <laughs> And and Sting just looks away, he walks on without acknowledgement. And then Ed looks at me and says, loud enough for everyone to hear, he goes, who's that guy think he is, Sting? <laughs> which, which is funny. And they walk on past, and we just have a quick laugh. And then 60 seconds later, at most, the entire entourage comes walking back from our right now in the other direction. Like wherever they had gone, they turned around, and they were coming right back. And there's Sting and his wife, and then 25 people, Silently, silently following their leader again, and for the second time, Sting looks over and takes us in. He looks at Ed, and uh, you know he sees this like supersized, shaggy-looking dude burning a Marlboro Red, and he's probably wondering, like, how did this guy even get backstage, you know? And Ed that time looks at him and says, "Oh man, did they close catering already? Man, that lobster was great." <laughs> and he said it like with real sympathy in his voice. As if Sting were going to be denied catering in his entire flock, and and Sting immediately looks away again without response, and we sat there together and laughed for 15 minutes. I mean, there there are thousands of those stories about Ed Harsh. There's my brothers all have great Ed stories. you know, they'd be at the gig and they'd always end up hanging for, with Ed and and they'd always come up and they'd have tears in their eyes. There's always, either Ed had just done or said something or told a story. And Ed, Ed had a story about everybody. One day, I remember someone said, "Ed, man, you know," because he would always talk about, "Oh, I played with this guy, man. I played with that guy. I knew that dude." And someone said, "Ed, man, you ever jam with the Pope?" And he immediately said, "Yeah, that cat's got a strong left hand, man." <laughs> and uh, oh, and now Ed is gone. And I, and, you know, I, I can't say I was surprised when I heard he'd been doing very poorly. He was in the hospital. But, of course, it's such a shock to now, you know, be processing the whole thing. And and truth be told, I mean, the question, you know, did you do enough to try to help? That's always going to be in play. You know, could we have done more and, and should we have done more? And did we owe Ed a greater effort? Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and having now been witness to so much destruction from addiction. I can also say, you know, nothing was going to keep Ed from being Ed. Addiction is the, the one true evil in the world that I've seen up close. And uh, and and Ed was going to be Ed for better or worse. Ed Harsh would stand on a balcony of a hotel room, sipping coffee, waving at the passing traffic, buck naked. Ed, Ed drank about a gallon of coffee every day. I'm not exaggerating. It was a couple of three pots in the course of 24 hours. Ed ate a lot of raw garlic, which none of this sounds like a ringing endorsement for wanting to hang out with the guy, but trust me, it was always worth it. Ed really uh, loved his parents. He would, he spoke Ukrainian to them on the phone. And that language could sound so rough and, and, and jarring coming from him. But, but still there was such an unmistakable tenderness and and so much love when he'd be on the phone with his mom. You know, uh, most importantly, at least in the way Ed saw the world, Ed could really, really play. God, he could really play. Uh, one of my favorite nights ever on tour was early in his tenure with us, 1991. We had a night off in Dortmund, Germany. And we were sitting at a hotel bar with some of the guys from Metallica and their production crew, we were on this big Monsters of Rock tour. And so there was a bunch of us in the bar late at night. And finally, someone noticed there's this old dusty piano in the corner with like a blanket over it and just drinks sitting on top of it. And somebody said, Ed, man, go go whip out some Boogie Woogie. Get this, get this party started, man. Let's get it going. And Ed walked his chair over to the piano and he sat down and he opened it up and he started playing. And this piano was not in great shape. It was out of tune and it didn't look like anybody had touched it in 5 years. And Ed starts playing like this immediate like this classical piece. And uh and everybody laughed for a second because it, it just seemed like a setup for a you know a joke of some sort. And he just kept playing. And it it was probably 10 or or 12 minutes of, of like the heaviest classical piece on a piano you've ever heard. It was in tense it was really dramatic there were these sweeping ups and downs in the mood and in tempo and everybody was just awestruck and silent and when he finished he just sat there staring at his keys and everybody applauded like we didn't high five and yell and say yeah we just we just all stood there clapping in a bar in a hotel at 2 in the morning and then Ed, Ed said the name of this composer. He said that was always my favorite. I I don't it wasn't a name I knew and I I wish I could remember it now. And Ed just said, "Old pianos, man. You just got to give them love sometimes." For the rest of my life, I'll uh I'll always laugh when I think about the millions of hours and the miles we all spent hanging with Ed and I'll always be so proud of, of all that we created together and I imagine at times that I'll uh that I'll cry when I hear his piano Godspeed, brother Ed Harsh.